Is craft beer the new toilet paper? We're getting into the nitty gritty of supply chain issues with craft breweries. New details on the Bell Sale to Lion or Kieran or who the fuck even owns them? A new take on the Mixed 12 Pack. This is It's All Beer. Welcome to It's All Beer, and we are proud to announce today that after years of soul-searching and reflection, we have decided to sell this podcast to Lion. And I know what you're thinking, not the Australian-Japanese beer conglomerate that bought New Belgium and Bells. No, we have been acquired by the Librarian's Information Online Network. So, besides the latest in beer news, you can look forward to hard-hitting discussions about digital empowerment provided by libraries and other communities, the rise of corporate libraries and their contributions in various of the digital library resources, and access to scientific publications at regional library level, but first... First this week, a new segment, What's That Homeless Dude in the Trench Coat Jacking Off To? Where we give you, the listener, a chance to guess what that creepy guy who's been in the same library terminal for six hours is using to pleasure his fetid wang. Here's a hint, it does involve a pint glass, but it's not in the way you think. I'm Jeremy Jones. You really did peek on the last one. <laughs> like, a <laughs> little too wordy. Uh, <laughs> And also, if you were going to say we sold to Lion, I was really hoping you were going to go with the Lazy Lion NFT group. Uh, that's way more on trend than fucking libraries. <laughs> so, step your game up. Lazy Lion for life. Uh, really? Nothing? I got a, got a jacking no, off hobo no, in there. I no, thought that would be right up no. your alley. Okay. Well, then I've, I have misjudged this terribly. Why don't you open the first beer yet? You know what? Next time you can come up with one. I'm just going to go, welcome to It's All Beer. And Tyler's going to say something funny. Dead air, dead air, and fuck you. <laughs> oh no, I'll, I'll start spewing some shit, but... Uh. Alright, well our first, the, the first thing we're going to open today actually is a sort of an update to a story we did... What, last week? Two weeks ago. Two weeks. Two weeks ago. Um, was it two weeks or last week? It was two weeks ago, because um, uh, we did something else last week. But no, this was the... Um, so we... Uh, if you... Uh, Two weeks ago, we did um, a uh, uh, an article on Sam Adams going big on long drinks. In fact, that was one of the lead stories uh, about, and it was about Bevy. It was uh, uh, really you have to go back and listen to the entire podcast. But long story short, long drinks are the national drink of. I, I figured if Finland. we were doing long drinks, I had to do a long pour. You really didn't. <laughs> I don't think that's. I don't think that's strictly a Finnish tradition, but. but. I mean, in college, we used to do long pours from the second story down to the first story where someone would tilt their head back and we'd pour in some Natty Light down into their gullet from <laughs> second story. So, It smells... Very berry. It smells like a, a, a snow cone, like snow cone berry. Yes. So it's but a I do... bevy long drink sparkling berry refresher at 5.8. Respectable. Um, I do get some like the gin does botanic- not contain distilled spirits. <laughs> they're very yeah, they, that was one of the things they were very clear about that. They're like no, we're, there's not actual any actual gin. Although I do get gin botanicals on there. I'm not getting a ton on the nose. I mean, they're not. It's not. It's not present. What I mostly get is the fruit, but right in the back, I do get like a little bit of gin botanicals. So you want to hear the description on the can? I've read it, but go ahead. Why don't you? So bevy long drink is our tribute to Finland's national mm-hmm. cocktail. Did you know Finland is the happiest country in the world? But what exactly makes the Finns so joyful? Maybe it's their pristine forests, crystal clear lakes. Maybe it's the 23 hours of daylight they get in the summer. Or maybe, just maybe, it's their best kept secret, the long drink. 
Our bevy long drink inspired by the national cocktail of Finland blends berry flavor with wild juniper berries for a refreshing new take on a classic favorite. Sweet, tart, and packed with flavor. It's our way of bringing some of that Finnish happiness to the States. I do like the little gnome they got on here. They, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a cute like little... that should be the logo over this stupid fucking meta looking ass B on their fucking logo. I, yeah, I never, I didn't think about that. I mean, I think it's that that would be a better mascot. That's like the little drunken gnome. It's double fisting fucking bevies, being like, <laughs> "Woo, Mardi Gras twenty twenty, baby." <laughs> I mean, it's nice. It's refreshing. It's fruity. It's, I, you know, I, I think it would be better with gin. Yeah, I mean, it kind of reminds me of the, a kai berry, fucking truly hard seltzer. Um, I don't believe a kai berries actually exist, but go on. I'm an, I'm an, whatever you fucking pronounce that. I, I'm an akai berry denier. What or asiaia berry? Asiaia. Whatever. However, I don't think they. Ex- I've never actually seen one. Um, they're only used in like fucking drinks. Yeah. So I don't think they really exist. So. But that's what this kind of tastes like. That's it's not bad. Like, I don't think this is the weather I'd want for it. But you give me a mid-July day where it's not dark till 10:30 p.m. I'd take this down like a fat kid on a seesaw. I I I could see the I could see the uh, situation where this would be yeah something you could just pound really you know just it's nice it's light it's refreshing, um, not you know nothing that blows my hair back but yeah it is for for what for the what it's supposed, supposed to, to be, be yeah it's not supposed to blow your hair back. But uh, well, thank you for to uh, uh, my uh, my Hayden rep for uh, letting letting us have one of those. Um, uh, it's, it's not bad. Well, all right. <laughs> uh, we forgot to pre-plan this. Yeah, we always do. What do you want to get? What do you want? What do you want to start? I don't know. You want to start light, heavy? Um, I want to save the alcohol article for this one. Yeah. So, you want to go Hawaii or? Uh, let's, Hawaii seems like more like something to end with. You want to go your supply chain issues? Uh. I thought I was going to start start with one. I'd want to start with Bells. Okay, let's go with Bells. Um, and then what do you want to do after that? Uh, Bells, do we want to do the most popular cheap beer by state? Oh, we keep on pushing that back. Yeah. Nah. Nah? Nah. Well, not, well, not immediately. Uh, so let's go Bells. Let's jump to the mix packs. Okay. Supply chain issues. We'll hit Hawaii if we got time. That sounds perfect. Okay. Sweet. So, Jeremy, you got an update for us on uh, Bell, the sale of Bell's Brewing to Lion? Or Kieran, or whatever you want to call it. Yes, uh, Kieran bought fucking Bell's, and no, I'm not over it news now. Um, it's been a little over a week since news broke uh, that the that CEO, Larry Bell, uh, decided that he was retiring after nearly 40 years in the industry and was turning over the company. Uh, one of the few family-owned breweries of, his, of its size, by the way, the, sa- the sale of Bell's. Um, leaves Sierra Nevada as the last family-owned brewery in the top ten producers. <coughs> Wrong. Oh? Yingling. Is, is it still completely family-owned? It's still... It's... Uh, I can't remember his name. It's his granddaughters that are running it. So uh, still think... family-owned. But they did the joint partnership with Molson Coors. But if... 
Sam Adams and Dogfish Head can still keep claiming independent craft because their joint partnership. I'm including Yingling in this still. So. He's, he's gonna. Be, uh, well, I can't remember which 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 of one of the articles that I got said that, but uh, I don't know. Send them a letter. Um, that's a great thing about not actually doing our own research, research. is that uh, Jarrett, we got a pawn. It's <laughs> <laughs> like listen, I just what I fucking read. Um, so perhaps, but anyway. Um, yes, Yingling is still family owned and operated. Uh, the uh, the he decided to turn over uh, control of bells to New Belgium. I mean Lion, I mean Kieran. Listen, uh, sometimes it takes a little time to get over the initial shock and look deeper into what this means for both bells and the industry as a whole. Um, this is put together from several articles, notably uh, Kat Walensky at Vine Pair, um, which I think actually that's where the, the I think that's where they they said it was the last family-owned brewery. So I guess take that one with a grain of salt. Um, Kate Bernat, because of course. <laughs> uh, good we beer. really need to get her on the podcast. Get, we're big fans. <laughs> good beer hunting. Um, uh, first, the sale caught pretty much everyone off guard. But as you might expect, it's not quite out of the blue as you might think. Or rather, it's the rather interesting end to a struggle by the Bell family to take control of the company. Um, that started back in 1985 when Larry Bell took on shareholders to help build the original brewery. And, Which a lot of breweries do. Yeah, it's, it's not unusual. And the amount of uh, outside controlling interest continued to grow and continued to grow with the brewery, which, again... Huge issue. I remember reading the memoir from uh, the founder of Lagunitas, and he talked he had to keep trying to update and change little pieces on his house to try to get more money every time he did basically a fundraising ground to keep his shares without getting diluted so he still had majority ownership of the company uh so he had to keep refinancing his house to get a little extra money so he could keep his <laughs> same amount of shares um the family uh, i'll say it, it's in the same fashion the family always managed to keep a controlling interest um but there came a time around the late 90s or early 2000s when uh the elder bell um worried about how much or little control his family had over the directions of the brewery, um, they decided to start uh, to start buying back shares. Uh, to quote the to quote Larry Bell in a 2012 article from the Michigan Live, quote: "It's very stressful to have everything go so great in building a new brewery and not knowing, as the CEO of the company, knowing where to take things. There's very little room to maneuver." So where things were going was an issue. And after a bout with cancer in 2008, um, who was going to take over the company became a bit of an issue as well. At that point in time, he joked that if he was killed by a zombie attack, and I'm quoting the article here, um, <laughs> that's <laughs> Bell, Bell used, used the term zombie attack, which, fair, a zombie attack sounds a lot more fun than cancer. Yeah. Um, but he said that if his brains were unceremoniously devoured by the undead, that was me, um, that he was not in the position to turn over uh, the brewery over to his children. Um, again, quoting the article in Michigan Live, uh, we are, as a family, have to soon figure out what's going to happen. Unfortunately, the way this thing is structured, this company is structured, it's not sustainable. Um, I'm not set up statewide to guarantee it can be handed over to the kids. We've been trying to work on that. And he was working on that. The company spent about $10,000 in legal fees in 2011. 
Damn. By itself. Uh, trying to work out a deal with the shareholders in order to buy them out. Um, he threatened, according to court documents uh, uh, in the, from lawsuits filed around that time, that he went so far as to suppress growth of the company so there would be less less or no money in order to pay, pay dividends. Oh, shit. Well, I know New Glarus had a similar issue pop up this year where some shareholders tried to uh, force out the founder of the company because she turned down Anheuser-Busch's mm-hmm. attempt to purchase her, uh, which New Glarus is only sold in one state. And she flat out said, find me another CEO who could take a company to this valuation, only distributing in one state. Uh, so no, I'm not going to sell to a multinational conglomerate when what else are they going to provide that I need right now? I mean, to be fair, she, you know, when you're, you can distribute only in Wisconsin and keep a beer company afloat. Those people like a beer. They will have a beer. And I think New Glarus is in top 15 of yeah. production volume, yeah. which is mind-boggling, but it is the beer of Wisconsin. Absolutely. Um, but anyway... Um, uh, at that point in time, he did manage, even just by begging uh, uh, some of his shareholders, um, to uh, buy back a lot of stock. Um, most of the investors um, ended up shelling their shares back to the Bell uh, Family Trust, leaving only 11 holdouts. And around that same time, Larry Bell started looking for at other options. Um, he bought he had brought in an investment bank to start scoping for potential buyers basically at this point in time as a threat to the last shareholders um, or at least basically saying listen I don't have I, I don't have the control to do what I want to do which is turn this over to my family and so if I can't do this to do that sell it. it really doesn't mean that much to me I'm gonna sell it and that appears to have been enough. For the last shareholders to give up their piece of the brewery in 2013, Bell's announced that they were, since pretty much the first time since their founding, completely family-owned. And this is where Laura Bell comes into the picture. Larry has two children, Laura and David. Not much is said about David. I can't find much information about him other than he lives in D.C. Occasionally pops his head out to handle some marketing or some shit, but he has no official title in the company. So I'm assuming from an early age, young David looked at the family business and said, Nah, fuck that shit. Can I get a glass of wine? As <laughs> <laughs> so I say, and he pissed off to do whatever. And Which, so, good for you. I'm, you know, I can't, I, I certainly don't fault that decision. Um, uh... And actually, Laura was initially the same way. She grew up around the brewery, and like many teenagers, basically looked at anything her parents did as fucking stupid and dumb and went up to Michigan State to study anthropology and urban urban planning. I wonder if, like, is that the way to get your kids not to just be raging alcoholics in high school and college? Is literally just shove them in a brewery? And they're like, alcohol's for losers. Uh, That's what my parents do. Uh, You know, that's like that's the greatest reverse psychology I could have ever thought of. There probably is something to that. I, I, I would doubt that a whole. What, what if two things could happen, right? Either they're like, you know, they're like, hey, you guys want to chuck a beer? No, I work for a brewery. I've been, I've been in one since I was five, bitch. Um, either or they're like, give me that bottle of vodka. I was gonna say, give me that, give me that uh, fucking Budweiser. (laughs) 
That's her, that's how I'm gonna rebel against that. I'm gonna shove about a metric shitload of this piss water in my face. Um, but anyway, um, after graduating and possibly seeing the job prospects for an anthropology degree, <laughs> listen, I'm not judging. I'm not judging. I have a useless degree too. Yeah, this, it's on the wall. This industry is a strange haven for folks like us that re- it requires very little in the way of marketable skills, and there's enough free be- beer to wash away the stench of failure. So. I'm Don't let me in with you. <laughs> no, but notably, her path to the top was not immediate. Uh, she started off in sales and apparently worked uh, every worked pretty much every place you could in the brewery at some point, including in the in actual brewing. At one point, she ruined a thirty-five barrel batch of Hop Slam. Um, another time, she made a mistake that resulted in being covered quote in hop. Ye- hop and yeast sludge at three in the morning. Oh no! <laughs> Haven't we all been there? Um, now here's where the story gets a little muddy because the story, as written, paints the picture of a young woman growing into the family business, enduring the joys and hardships thereof, and actually growing to love the company. She eventually took over as CEO in 2017, and then something happened. In 2018, she stepped down, and that appears to have been it. I can't find any interview or any discussion about why she stepped down. The only thing that has been said was from her father. Uh, he told Josh Knoll in at the Chicago Tribune about why his daughter wasn't taking over. Uh, quote, it was a possibility, but it didn't work out. Uh, she is off doing other things in this life, and that's fine. If it's not the situation, then I have to have a plan for the, this thing I built. I almost wonder if it was her true passion presented an opportunity and it was, yeah, this was a good fallback, but I'm I, out. I, I mean, you know, you just run through this. I mean, run through the scenarios. Burnout maybe come to mind. I mean, you know, CEO is, I mean, do you really want to? I mean, we've talked how this industry, specifically craft beer, chews up and spits out people and everyone's got a code date right so i mean that's it is an intriguing part but but uh, i mean you can speculate all you want there does not seem to be any answer but for whatever reason i mean larry bell was left with no successors and no investors and and just happened to have a list of companies that uh he had that the investment bank had put together uh that were at least interested in in buying them and it's just it's just one of those feelings that there's more to the story and it's just my i really really hope that someday laura bell comes out and says here's what happened you know what josh knoll needs to sit down with larry bell and with his daughter and write a equivalent book of barrel-aged stouts and selling out with bells that'll be amazing i mean call it for whom the bell tolls I mean, of course you did. Um, I mean, <laughs> you gotta appreciate it. Come on. Um, it, I mean, it, especially if there's something to. I mean, if there's some drama, it could just be like, listen, I, I, but I, I ran the company. I ran a company for a year, and it it nearly killed me. I it can't wasn't do it. a gig, yeah. Yeah. But even then, like, look how well. Look at all the brewery founders that have written a book or had a book written about them. You have Sam Callion with Dogfish Head. You have Tony McGee with uh, Lagunitas. You have, uh, oh, fuck, what's Sierra Nevada's founder's name? Oh, I have no, I can't remember off the top of my head. 
but he's got one. Brewdog came out with one. There you uh, go. Everyone who's made a super big brewery like this seems to have a book about them, except Bell's. I'm ostensibly a writer. I'll do it. I'll just uh, if you can reach out to fucking Larry Bell and be like, "Hey, I'd love to write the book about you." We will premiere it on this podcast. Uh, be the so, best book you've probably ever written. Uh, that's wouldn't take much. It's, it's also a lot. Hey, of... The two books you've written have been solid. Thank you. That's 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 kind of you. The first one was better than the second, but <laughs> um, anywho, uh, where does that leave Bell's and the craft beer industry? Well, with some time to reflect. It's a double-edged sword. From a purely business standpoint, I think we already kind of talked about this, kind of speculated that um, it's good for everyone. Um, and the evidence um, is um, the evidence is really coming out to support this. Whatever made Laura decide to leave the company um, and her um, – it left Larry Bell with a very serious matter of succession. Um, and at that size, you, know, you don't know, only have to worry about your legacy – but all the people that have built their lives around the company, and I imagine as an owner that that's a big responsibility, right? Um, to at least make sure that pe- that the other people who have built their uh, built their livelihoods around your business uh, have a place to continue to thrive. And by all measure, Lion seems to be a good entity to ensure that happens. And on the other side of the coin, Bell's is an extremely valuable brand. Uh, in a particularly high place right now, Two-Hearted is the number six IPA in chain retail. It's about half of Bell's entire package sales. It's grown a, almost 100% in the last three years. And it's expected to grow by another $7.1 million this year. And I think Bell's is... As much as you can be of a brewery that size, still on the uptick. Absolutely. And you add the extra distribution that you get with the network they have, and especially New Belgium's network, if you just tie it right in, you're seeing massive growth for the first couple of years. Um, It's also number 15 in craft beer brands, grocery, drug stores, liquor stores, and convenience stores, according to Nielsen which has a much broader definition of craft beer than the BA, by the way, as evidenced by the fact that, can you guess what the number one? Blue Moon. Which one? Uh, their Belgian w- w- or Close. Light Sky. The newest, oh, the new one. I forgot about that one. Yep. So. Um, Light Sky is really take that. So, number, but, th- but when you're. Like, let, let's put it this way. A lot of times in those data sets, uh, Bud Light's considered like a premium right domestic i mean but your budget domestic is like ice house so it's gonna be a more broader set i mean obviously their definition of craft beer is drastically different but i think that 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 is more impressive because if you're 15 you know among i mean i'm sure including blue moon Moon, chalk top exactly that's that's pretty impressive and also bells has oberon which is a seasonal sensation in and of itself Mm mm-hmm it's far and away the best-selling seasonal offering that Bell's has, possibly the biggest seasonal beer release out there, selling as much as Miller 64 does in the same amount of time. Mm-hmm. And I feel also, then you've also got Hop Slam, sim- spaced out a little from it, mm-hmm. that it's another big uptick for the style of beer. It's not going to be as popular as Oberon, but you get a nice little up. 
plateau, and then you get that nice shoot up with mm-hmm. Oberon. So, I mean, you've got, I mean, you've got a lot of, you've, you've got a very solid seasonal portfolio, which I think is extremely valuable. And Rotation Nation, it's, it's undeniable. And you know, you've got a, you've got not only a solid IPA, uh, four times voted the best IPA by Zymergery Magazine. Or best beer, sorry, not best IPA, best beer by by, by Zimmergery. So overall, a good thing for everybody involved. But there are some lingering questions what this means for the industry at large, and that's where things get muddier. Um, first, there appears to be this strange effort to at least sort of muddy the waters as to who owns what and for how many jelly beans. Pouring through the articles, most of the reports simply reprint a press release provided by Lion, which makes sense because the press release itself, it was, I mean, that makes sense because, um, you know, I'm, let's face it, news agencies are lazy, right? But the press release barely mentions Lion. Um, Because you don't want it to. It tries to paint this as a collaboration between Bells and New Belgium. Um, Which is easy in the layman to understand because... The new Belgium CEO is going to be the CEO of both companies. Right. And you try to paint it in the light of Sam Adams' dogfish head to still keep both under the independent craft brand. I I mean, and and it's a rather cynical um, uh, move because, I mean, most people who read these articles are going to read the one article that just says... um, New That's, Belgium bought Bells. Yeah, Bells to partner with New Belgium, and they are not going to look any deeper because why would you? It's only f- fucking geeks like us that go, well, wait a minute, there's more to this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but um, it's I don't know. It, to me, it strikes me as a kind of a bizarre attempt to obscure that Bells Brewing is now owned by the fucking Kieran Corporation. Um, and now I understand, I mean, which I understand everything I've seen. Kieran has not been mentioned outside of people being like, well, hold on. Lion bought new Belgium. And then we talked about Kieran. Why is Kieran not being included in this conversation? Well, let's face it. I mean, we're talking about a, a, a company that does sort of accidentally fund genocide. To be fair, I think I've mentioned this before. I want to stress the idea because I don't think people my age or younger really have a good idea how the stock market works. Most of us are not allowed to buy stocks given we have no income left over from food or fucking rent. So the best we can do is annoyingly pronounce them stonks. Um, and a few people my age that can invest are more interested in manipulating the stock market to make wildly unsuccessful companies like GameStop extremely valuable for about five minutes. Oh, no. I, I was all in on shortened GameStop because I knew at some point the hedge funds were going to win, and they did. Uh, so maybe an outlier here. But... What, what I'm saying is that for most people you know, my age or younger, stocks are nothing but a vehicle for disenfranchisement at worst or petulant resist, resentment at best. I support both those things. It's but, a government-regulated casino, but, there is more, but a casino all the less. But there is more to it. It's important to realize that as a major corporation, it really is hard to control who owns part of your company. And at the same time, you are obligated, if your company is profitable, to pay your shareholders dividends. But if one of your shareholders is, I don't know, the Burmese military and the dividends you pay are going directly towards ethnic cleansing, well, you find yourself in quite a pickle, don't you? And it's not like the Kieran Board of Directors had a meeting where they put up a vote saying, okay, all in favor of ethnic cleansing. 
All right, looks like we have six against and four pro. Okay, what about just Miramar? Just ethnic, ethnic cleansing in Miramar. Okay, that's picked up a couple extra votes. The resolution passes. And passed. <laughs> We're, we, are, we support ethnic cleansing, but only in Miramar first, and then we'll see how it goes from there. That did not happen. Don't take that out of context. <laughs> Please do not edit that out of context. Now... I don't think that entirely absolves Kieran of any responsibility for funding money towards uh, uh, what is clearly genocide. But also, as a corporation, you cannot stop someone from buying Absolutely. your stock. The, the problem is not so much with the company per se, but more about how the system is supposed to provide wealth and prosperity to the greatest number of people. So e that's And the fact that it's so easily hijacked by powerful entities that use that wealth to oppress it or slave. Actually, hold on a sec. I got my notes mixed up. This is for the podcast I'm doing later tonight. Yeah. That one gets really heavy. Um, I keep it on the DL because... Because every time I put it out, I get fucking raided by the FBI. So, um, But uh, you should check that out sometime. Anyway, the point is, can you be 100% sure uh, that the way next... Way to get on anti-capitalism <laughs> soapbox right there. Do I need to give you the room? Or... No, I'm done. Um, can you be 100% sure the next time you, bells, you buy Bells Too Hearted that absolutely none of your money is going to support human atrocities? No, you can't. And therein lies the issue. Um, and in looking this up, I've come to realize that they actually did the same shit when they bought New Belgium. If you think about it, they rolled out little creatures mm -hmm. as the buyer or partner or acquisitioner. Or... So it had little creatures, then right. They're always trying to keep a but, couple layers of insulation. But in reality, little creatures, I mean, as I, I was kind of looking back. Little Creatures has nothing to fucking Not do. Not a fucking thing to do with uh, uh, with New Belgium. Which is genius from Kieran's perspective. It gives you the insulation. It doesn't tarnish the good brand you're trying to get. Because most of us jackoffs are too busy worried about who the next Kardashian's blowing uh, to care about this and try to short a fucking stock. Uh, coming on, next on It's All Beer, who the next Kardashian is blowing. No, um... But, <laughs> so, I don't know, they just, they, but you're right, they put on a press release to sort of disguise the fact that they're owned by Kierden. And customers, by some measure, are sensitive to that. Bart Watson, the economist at Brewers Association, in an Axios article, uh, was quoted as saying, uh, industry surveys show most consumers care about who makes their beer and favor independent breweries in their purchasing decisions. But, by contrast, New Belgium sales went up since their sales of Kieran. Voodoo Ranger is still killing it in the market. So it turns out what people say, what they like, and what they actually do are two very different things. Yes, Tyler. I am also going to have a big fucking problem if Bell's sales takes a hit for going, for being purchased and merging with New Belgium, being purchased by Kieran, Lion, whoever the fuck you want to say, cut the check. I'm going to go it with It all Kieran. comes from the same pot. I'm going with Kieran. Uh, it comes from the same account. It's just a different funnel. Uh, if they take a hit for that because people are like, there's cultural genocide and blah, blah, blah. Who gives <laughs> a flying fuck when nobody gave a fuck when New when, not New Belgium, sorry, when founders, their sales never took a fucking hit for having a black-only fucking printer. I, I, I will say that if you And so if you take a hit in the similar demographic area for fucking selling to a, a company that you're still going to have another craft beer, in quotations, CEO move over and help run both companies, compared to a racist-ass fucking culture... 
That's where I have a problem. I, I, I do agree. If you were like, no, I'm never buying Bells again, but I'm going to grab this Founders. I'm like, eh, reassess your priorities. Reassess a little bit. Um, now, if you're not buying both, good on you. Stand for what you need to stand for. But I'll shotgun a fucking Miller Light, Coors Light, Bud Light when I need to. If Bells comes into town, I'm definitely buying the oh. shit out of some Two-Hearted. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm taking down Two-Hearted like a fat kid at a fucking pie-eating contest. <laughs> but, um... Uh, of course, Bells, this does mean that Bells will be removing the independent seal from their packaging. Yep, I will, for one, weep for the loss of that upside-down ketchup bottle on that packaging. Oh, fuck you! <laughs> the point is, um, the point is, is that by the BA's definition... Also, no one ever uses the fucking old-school glass ketchup bottles anymore. <laughs> I can think of maybe one restaurant in the whole valley. You, go, you don't go to fancy enough restaurants then. Uh-oh. The fancy restaurants still have the glass ketchup bottles. No, bottle. bullshit! The skeezy-ass dive diners do. Even better. Um, the point is, by the BA's definition of craft beer, there are very few of those original pioneers that formed in and around the 80s that are still independently owned and operated. And I feel th- that the weird you know, lie about who owns a company now is part of the overall desire to blur the line between big corporate beer and independent craft. Larry Bell, in an interview with Axios, said that Bell's and New Belgium, quote, come from a come the come from the early days of the craft beer world. Mm-hmm. They still contain the DNA from the craft revolution. That's still the spirit and the feeling around the companies and around the beers. We've talked about the this idea of the, like the no man's land before, yeah. right? I mean, it's almost we almost should call this thing the no man, this podcast the no, no man's man. land. I mean, ju- just to interrupt a little, yeah. I think the only two big ones that I can think of from the eighties are Sierra Nevada, Sierra Nevada, Deschutes. They're the class of eighty eight. Yep. Uh, but even then, both of them have pivoted so much, and I mean, Deschutes bought up Boneyard. Yeah, that's what won me the. Deadpool. Just keep, just keep on, just keep on. Just, uh, so, uh, I think with that, they both started acting outside of a craft mindset. I, I would disagree, at least with, especially with Sierra Nevada. I think Sierra Nevada stayed pretty close there. But they've also taken the same playbook like New Belgium, where New Belgium became the fat tire brewery became the Voodoo Ranger Brewery. Sierra Nevada has went from Sierra Nevada Pale Ale to the Little Thing brand being a full outside, bigger brand than Sierra Nevada almost. But, I mean, that's what you you do to make the monies. Yes, but it's the outside of the craft playbook, really. Uh, It it is what it is. And, I mean, it's, it's, it's... it's melding. I don't know. That probably a discussion at some point in time. I feel like it's the 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 melding of marketing and craft beer to a certain extent. But um, but anyway, the the no man's land. The idea that breweries have to keep growing until they reach this point, and they find themselves too far gone to get back uh, to a safe spot, and and you need to grow a whole lot more to get to a safe spot in the distance. Um, and where they are is. Basically, fucking death. Uh, Kat Walensky talked about this idea um, to end her article in Vine Pair by saying, quote, So what will become of the craft beer pioneers? The answer is turning out to be as simple as selling before collapse. And I can't criticize that. 
and I think we've said that multiple times, you either sell before you collapse or you buy up enough smaller companies to push you across that no man's land. Absolutely. So you sell or you buy before you die. So that's, you know, that therein lies the future of craft beer, which I don't know how I feel about that. But, I mean, let, let's take a look at one of those older craft beer pioneers of Odell. Look how much they've diversified since uh, they were founded 30-some years ago. They have a hard kombucha line. They have a canned, I think, like, rosé line. They're still trying to hammer home as much one-off fun new beers as they can. And so they're trying to almost create the companies themselves that they would try to buy to expand. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, I, yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, again, I don't, I don't want to make sound like I fault uh, um, you know Bell's for making this decision. Obviously, I mean, we went, went, got into this. I mean, you get to this point, like I, I, I can't do this forever. You know, especially if you had a plan. I want to pass it to my family. At that point, if that falls through, you've put all your eggs almost in that basket. The only other option, and I do, and is I cut a check. And I do think I, I do think Kieran is a a, a good a good uh, um, you know a, a good steward for this company. You know, mm-hmm. via I, I do think that I think most of the control you know the, whatever control there is does come from Lion. They are the they are the, uh, the. I think most of the control in this is going to come from New Belgium. Well, I, I mean, I, I think it, they're largely left alone. When it comes to the day to day, absolutely, I think that they will leave that that they'll leave it up to the the people on the ground. When it comes to like cutting checks and the you know higher up, that's going to be Lion. Yeah. And you know, Kieran is just like oh, fucking give us money. You know, we don't. We really don't care. Here's this. <laughs> we expect it back in this amount of time. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I, you know, I don't want to say that I think it's a bad thing. It's just, just there's something about it that just maybe that just in my mind, like, why are you lying to me? Why are you lying to me? <laughs> You're also one who's very tin hat corporate <laughs> conspiracies. Let's look at your little tin hat <laughs> argument you had with what's his name from Good Beer Hunting about. Uh, that uh, that uh, Anheuser Busch was uh, that trying I, to get FDA regulations to quash the little guy. Yeah, I still am not. It just hasn't materialized yet because they haven't had a good excuse. <laughs> but I, I'm just also, saying. Also, I think ABN is starting to realize that craft is not a threat to them. No, and which it. Seltzer's more of a threat to them. Right. So, you know, I'm looking... Watch the next Super Bowl commercial. It's not going to say oh, shit about craft beer. It's going to say be, be bitchy about seltzer. Oh. <laughs> I mean, the fact that they passed off the Bud Light Twitter handle to Bud Light Seltzer... Yeah. ...showed that they don't give a fuck about beer anymore. Yep. So, I don't... There's, yeah, I don't... There's... That that rivalry, if, there ever, if it ever really existed, is not a thing. The evil empires... Moved on to conquer a more profitable area. <laughs> They're like Death Star. No, 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 no. You guys on Alderaan, you guys do your thing. We we don't even care anymore. We're we're in a Actually, different. Uh, we're in a different galaxy, far, far away. We could give a shit. We're still gonna have a couple mines here, <laughs> uh, just because we're not gonna miss out on the resources. But uh, anyway, that's uh, the 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 fuller picture of bells. Tyler, uh, what's the uh, what's the next story you got for us? Well, I've got a 
Jeremy's gonna love this. A hard seltzer company reimagined kind of the spin on a variety pack. And at first I thought it was a variety 12 pack. I misread. It's a variety nine pack. That's my bad. Nine pack. Which I have a soft spot in my heart for odd pack sizes. Look at the eight pack lunchbox or the 15 pack founders made super popular. Um, but this is an article actually by Forbes that I saw on Twitter from uh, a consumer package specialist uh, who actually tweeted this out and was like, this is a genius idea. I don't know anyone else in the basically alcohol game looking at something like this. Um, but it's Premier Hard Seltzer. Um, the founders actually noticed... Uh, at a family barbecue that their friends and family would actually switch from higher alcohol at the start of the party consistently lower throughout the party so they could still make it home Mm -hmm. and that got them thinking is there a pack that's not necessarily differentiated by style or flavor but by alcohol percentage and they looked around and couldn't really. find any. Uh, so they created Premier. It's an electrolyte charged hard seltzer. Which, when I saw that, I was like, there's a whole segment on the podcast where you could get into that. But I'm going to just set that aside. Uh, I think oh. that's gimmicky as all fuck. Can you, can but I love the idea they did. With their mix pack. I wonder if like people listening, like if, you, if if you're listening to this and you're suddenly hearing like this really weird high pitched whine, um, that's that's my head hurting. That is actually my head uh, <laughs> <laughs> creating like these weird electromagnetic waves that are interfering with the microphone because that hurts that much. But so having worked for a brewery, variety packs do wonderful out in the market, especially. A lot of people, That's I feel why growlers have died off a lot is people are like, oh, I can do a mixed six-pack or a variety 12-pack for about the same amount or cheaper that I can do a growler fill, and it's not all one thing. They're a taster flight you take home with you. Yes, and so they came out with their mix pack. Uh, it is a mix nine-pack for $16.99, uh, so it is three cans of each of the following. Uh, they have a 0%, a 5%, and an 8% hard seltzer all in it. Uh, so most they decided to test this out. Uh, and a lot of the people started at the higher, worked their way down to the lower, and then were able to go home from the family barbecue afterwards. Uh, they're hitting shelves in liquor stores in Illinois, Wisconsin, and Michigan uh, this coming February 2022. Uh, and... They said they spent more than a decade uh, working to shape the brand, actually take a look and try to find quantitative and qualitative data to support this. And they said they've been seeing a ton of like progress going into retailers and being like, hey, we have a new variety pack for you that you've never seen before. And the retailers are like, what new weird flavor do you got for us now? What did you do? You got another thing that's going to blow up in our fucking warehouse. (laughs) Or what random berry flavor did you find this time? I see our berries are not a thing. (laughs) Uh, 
But so there's two... they're hipster blueberries. <laughs> so there's two flavors: black cherry and mango. Uh, they have a plan to expand the line, uh, but when they're talking to wholesalers, the wholesalers are kind of blown away with the different ABV levels, and it got me thinking: Wow, that's really a genius way to look at marketing your mix pack. Uh, and then as I scrolled in the comments of that, uh, there was actually someone who commented. He goes, I don't, the guy I follow on Twitter said, I don't know if anyone in the alcohol space is really doing something like this. And someone comments and goes, we recently did that with some Belgian brands they worked on a redesign with. And which we will open now. That's um, St. Fruellen. Um, yeah. And it, it actually took me. I'll uh, let you pour uh, that. An embarrassing long amount of time when we got this in gonna go well with the nitro uh we actually in the middle of my long screed cracked into firestone walker's uh simon dulce which is delicious tastes like a churro it's perfect for the holidays it is it's just a wonderfully you know what i like about it it's it's gonna sound like it's gonna sound uh uh terrible but i mean this in the nicest way it's a session spiced stout yes um it is in the nitro. I feel gives it a little bit thicker body and creaminess that I I want out of it. Um, it's it's nice. It's roasty. It's caramely. It's got the exact right amount of cinnamon. Um, and it's but it's it's like unlike most like spiced stouts, I could drink a six pack of that. I could bring a six pack to Thanksgiving and mm-hmm. like sit there and and try to drown my sorrows in that. So I guess what I'm saying is pick up a six pack of Firestone Cinnamon Dulce to make your family's The, the reason I had this for the first time and why I grabbed it for tonight's podcast was uh, I was sitting at a bar and the Firestone Walker rep came in and was like, would you like to try this? And I was like, oh my God, this is fantastic. So I'm glad you had already had it by yes. the time. Uh, but back to this. But uh, we, but anyway, that's what we just, that's what we drank during my screen. Now we're on to St. Fuellen's Five. Which... You're like, that's an odd name. Well, they did a mix. I'm assuming 12-pack because there's four beers in it. It's a 5, 7, 9, and quad. And that is the name of each of the beers. The lid says 5, 5% alcohol. It's The 5 is a Blondale. Uh, I saw this beer the day after I saw this article. And I was like, nope, grabbing this. We're doing it on the podcast now. Um the seven I couldn't see from the picture or the nine what the style was but the quad is an 11% quad uh, which it then got me thinking I have seven nine eleven. yeah kinky uh, <laughs> why don't more breweries cideries wineries whatever do it's, the mix pack based off the alcohol percentage it's one of those I think it's one of those ideas that's it's one of those like annoyingly simple ideas that no one's had yet or very few people had where you go oh my god that's brilliant why yeah. why why don't we, we do focus that? so far on adding this style and this style and this style to it well i think traditionally when you i, I think I, I mean i think that reflects you know how differently we drink you know at a tap room versus perhaps you know at, at home. home where whereas you know when you go to a tap room you order a when you order the uh uh, the taster flight. You're looking for a little bit of everything. You're looking for the blonde, the amber, the IPA, and you kind of and there's a whole you know order in which you taste them. Um, how you just drink out in the wild, 
it's a little bit of a different animal. I mean, there's still you're still going to have style stylistic differences, but um, which is funny enough, you bring this up. Uh, after I stopped, I th- thought about the IPA mix pack the brewery I currently work for does, uh, and in it we have four beers, we have a low alcohol hazy IPA. Uh, regular IPA. You guys are doing a session IPA or session hazy? No, it's or, a. I'm sorry, a low cal hazy. No, it's <laughs> our. It was one of our hazy IPAs that's uh, five and a half percent. Okay. So it, it's a lower alcohol. It's not branded as anything like that. Okay. But so we have that. Say, we have our flagship West Coast IPA in there. I was say if you did that, you're a shit salesman because I've never heard of that. No, no. <laughs> you would have known. Uh, uh, also, we have. Our Imperial Rotating IPA in there, and then a another one of our Rotating IPAs in there. But all four of those have different alcohol percentages, and we've seen it selling super well. And we're like, oh, it's got to be because it's just four different types of IPA. But then part of me, when I saw this article, was like, is it that doesn't hurt being the Northwest and IPAs are very popular. (laughs) But is part of the reason why it's going up is it's a wide variety of alcohols. And so you can do the Imperial, then switch to the lower alcohol and kind of bounce back and forth and still have. Sounds like some marketing research that needs to be done. Uh, But that would be interesting to like note how it's a weird thing to study, but you know, to figure I don't know, and I don't know how you would get this data, but how do you drink this in what order? Yeah, and I mean, to, and then leveraging that marketing, it wouldn't mm-hmm. take much. All you got to do is you wouldn't have to change the can the the labels on the individual cans at all. All you have to do is change the label on your box box and just have it reflect. Hey, you know, four different IPA or three different IPAs, three different ABVs. Mm-hmm. You know, here's your here here's your uh, or here's your early weekday. Here's your midweekday. Here's your weekend. I'm getting fucked up. Or break it down <laughs> like a sports analogy with the baseball. With your here's your starting pitcher. Here's your middle reliever. Here's your closer. <laughs> uh, but in the article, they actually talk. Uh, they. Uh, Surveyed both male and female customers of the hard seltzer within the past six months. 75% of them said they'd be interested in purchasing a hard seltzer that came in different ABV levels within one package. And it just kind of shows that, like you said, it's the... You miss something. You're looking at the forest and miss the trees. Absolutely. No, again, it's one of those ideas where you go, God, that's fucking brilliant. Why hasn't somebody done that? Um, quick note on this one. Um, I'm really digging uh, the the five. It's, I don't know, it's it's the closest thing I might have had commercially to a Belgian pale. Because I feel like I, I, I sense some like, um, like pale ale qualities to it, like a, a moderate bitterness. Um, you know, toasty malt base, but you got that Belgian yeast quality on top, so... Well, this is the first time I've ever noticed this. And I don't know if you noticed when you looked at the label. Oh, shit. No, probably. We'll see. It's not an IBU on it. It's an EBU. No, I guess I didn't even... Didn't, I'm I assuming could... it stands for European Bitterness Unit. Of course they have to have their own bitterness unit. And it's an EBU it's... of 22, and so I'm like, is that different than an IBU of 22? Of course it is. It's metric. Uh... 
I'm gonna let people go. Metric is is IBUs a bit? No, there's no metric IBUs. <laughs> well, Jeremy, what do we got next? While I look up the difference between EBU and an IBU. Of course, supply problems are fucking the craft beer world news now, <clears throat> or at least. Brace your, su- brace your buttholes. Everyone get ready for a time when you'll be sitting back with a pint and remembering fondly the days when you used to be able to buy uh, a pint for only $7. Um, this comes from the Metro Daily West by Norman Miller. Uh, according to uh, uh, according to pretty much any, uh, uh, any industry, the price of all supplies are going up. Uh, grain, hops, yeast, and the cans to put all that goodness into. Uh, and right now... The story appears to be the further away you have the truck supplies in, the harder you're going to get screwed. Um, Which the companies that have been like, we use American-made everything uh, just out of their patriotic duty are cashing in right now because they're not running into near as much supply chain issues. And they're like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, even more than that, I'll get into that in just a second. But, um, but I mean, you're absolutely right. It is kind of one of those... Um, where suddenly uh, uh, being hyper-local is not just a gimmick. It's now a survival instinct. Um, cans are still very much an issue um, uh, in some circles. Uh, we reported several times, especially about this time last year, that cans were tough to get a hold of because, well, the whole fucking system got fucked when everyone had to stop selling draft for a couple of months. So to keep even a little bit of beer flowing, everyone had to go to cans, which, of course, meant that there weren't enough cans to go around. And people are paying outrageous prices just to get a, a few of them. Um, well, the uh, uh, the good news is, yes, Tyler. <laughs> so, found a little explanation on EBU versus IBU. Okay. So, the European bitterness units is virtually the same as IBU. <laughs> of course it is. Both are used to measure the same thing. Except the one difference... More- if any... Is what more pretentious? Basically. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and oddly, it's IBU that's more pretentious. I mean, they're both pretty pre- uh, pretentious. So, Anytime. the difference is the scientific process of measurement. When calculating IBU values, the beer sample is handled in a pipette, dripped in octanol to eliminate foam. Um, for EBU, it isn't dipped in octanol. So it still can have the foam in there. It's literally the only so by so the margin same of, fucking process. So maybe the EBU has a larger margin of error because there might be some foam. That's what I'm hearing. Yes. Okay. Thank thank God that we figured that the fuck out. Anyway, <laughs> Jesus Christ. The good news is that supply problems are are. are is that supply problems is more or less, you know, gone on in cans. There's, uh, uh, there's, there's enough being made uh, to meet current demand at least. Um, but getting those cans to the breweries now is the issue. Um, and really, the more I looked into it, which I feel this was more an issue last year than this year. It's a continuing issue. Yeah, it, it started last year. Still some lingering well, effects. About this, but the bigger regional breweries that had the contracts that's aren't running into as much problem i think this point in time last year and it's hard to, it's hard to know exactly when where the where the the problems you know shifted i guess is the best word but i mean at one point in time 
the the can suppliers in this country could not make enough cans to fill. Mm-hmm. They are now doing that. They I, um, Ball, in fact, opened a new facility. The Arizona facility, I feel, this year. Correct. Um, and so enough cans are being produced to, f- to fulfill orders. It's getting them to the right people. It's just getting them there is, is now the biggest problem. And where and when that those, I mean. Which I, we are also, that's like the big issue with the port of L.A. Is because they're short on longshoremen, there's literally truck drivers pulling up, sitting there for their 10 hours. And then even if they get loaded, can't drive anywhere because they've been on the clock for 10 hours. <laughs> uh, or sitting there and then having to go home to get back in line. But there's not quite enough truck drivers to fulfill the need right. to get them out on time. So it's the longshoremen and truck drivers are both low enough that they're struggling. Exactly. I mean, it's it's one. Listen, you can't stop everything for even a couple of months and then start it again and expect everything to be hunky dory. You mm-hmm. know, for the same reason, you can't break in in on, on the freeway and not cause a fucking traffic jam. So stop looking at the guy on the side of the road changing his goddamn tire. You fucking prats. Pull Sorry. over and help him if you want to do. If you anyway. look at it. Um, but. I mean, the, I mean, the, oh, part of the thing to remember is that I, almost all cans are produced by about three companies, um, and they produce and ship the vast majority of all the cans produced in the United There's States. There's three companies? There's three companies, actually, that produce over half. I can only think of Ball and Crown. Um, and there's another one, um, and I've, it has a strange name, but I have to go look it up again. But, um, but, but between the three of them, they control more than... I, th- I think they control like fifty six percent of the market. Um, I'm surprised only that much. Um, and shipping just those cans is is tacking on twenty to forty percent in added costs right about now. Which I could believe. Um, so and this is uh, and this is you know twenty forty percent into an industry that has sort of been built on two to five percent increases in supplies. Up to this point, mm-hmm. um, Chad Warner, the head brewer at Moonhill Brewing, was quoted in an art- in the article saying, "Quote: We're going to be paying three times the price of a can that we paid last time. It's easy to blame everything on stupid COVID, but when someone turns off anything, it's hard to get it going again." What I just mm-hmm. said, and also the rising cost of fuel, the rising cost of labor, everything else is only going to bullwhip that in, especially malts from Europe. Have been a problem as well, shipping delays, and of course, what you just mentioned—you know, the the ports, especially, you know, the—I think all the ports just being a gigantic clusterfuck. Hops. Well, hops have always been a weird market. I honestly would like to start a speculative, uh, uh, like, stock market for hops, just so pretentious beer geeks like myself could lose vast amount of monies betting on the price of fucking Citra. Um, and last year, the shutdown meant less beer got brewed, so some strains of hops, the bottom fell out. And some varietals just you had a fire sale, which I'm assuming like your 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 legacy hops like your Cascade, your Centennials. Now the hops popular in the hazy IPA style, different things like that, never really fell off a ton and maintained. I mean the 
I think, I mean, hops are all over the place, but that's not new, I don't think. I no. mean, I mean, there's definitely some newness because of the aftershocks of COVID, but the well, hop... Whatever hop is popular and in relevant beer styles at that time has always been higher, where the hops that are falling out of favor always been lower, and that all fluctuates with the whim of a brewer. Um, I think the, a, a short answer is, Hops have always been weird. So at this point in time, uh, breweries should be used to... Hops are like wine grapes. They fluctuate with droughts, too. Um, but uh, CO2, actually, is another issue in some parts of the uh, uh, country. Um, this article comes from Massachusetts. Specifically over in Europe, it's a huge issue. That natural gas, uh, huge backlogs, not able to get uh, with energy prices soaring... And then uh, they have an even worse trucking shortage and an even higher gas prices. So there are cities that may be without heat this winter. Fun. Um, well, um, you know, ouch. <laughs> also without it CO2. could be worse, guys. With also without CO two. So you know, you might not be able to go to the pub and get a beer. Let's keep let's keep the the. This project. may bring a resurgence of real ales or cask ales. Back because it's naturally carbonated, you don't need to truck in CO2. And so if you can't make a beer that you would normally carbonate with CO2, you convert that to a cask slash real ale. That would be kind of amazing if it did lead to a resurgence resurgence in uh, in cask ales. I, I could see it if, especially if this shortage in CO2 sticks around in Europe... I could see that being a more prominent thing. Um, the reason it's causing problems in Massachusetts and, in fact, most of the East Coast actually seems to be rail shipping in Canada is all fucked up. Um, Blame fi- Canada. Blame Canada. <laughs> um, fires took out several tracks um, in in Vancouver and, and in the Pacific Northwest. Protests have slowed down several more. Um, it's actually a hugely complicated uh, issue up there, and I really don't want to get that deep into it other than say I'm sure the Canadians are very, very sorry about it. Um, We're sorry. Um, but <laughs> one of the many things tied up in this Canadian rail traffic jam is CO2 heading to the northeast, and almost CO2 specifically. Um, now, this is where we get to, like what you mentioned, this, the silver line, that breweries that aren't seeing much in the way of high cost increases are those that rely primarily on locally sourced ingredients. Uh, Marine Fabry of Craft Roots Brewing in uh, in Boston was quoted saying, Our brewery is not impacted by these issues or supply chain struggles because a hot, 100% of my grain is grown in Maine, Vermont, and, and craft malted. Uh, supply has been steady for me due to local agriculture stability and the foresight of my maltsters. I hear this is this growing season was excellent, thankfully, even though last year was horrible. Um, which got me thinking about because I mean, luckily here in Idaho, we are this is where we grow beer, right? But on the flip side, there's, as far as I know, one craft malting place in town. Or in the state. Yeah. Everything else is shipped up to Vancouver to malt, package, sent back. Well, actually, that's kind of where so, that's actually where I want to leave this because I did reach out to a um, to a bunch of like local brewers. I was, was going to kind of like tag this story with like, well, here's what's going on here. Malt prices are going up. 
Um, but I, uh, I, I, you know, this is kind of where I'm going to tease what we're doing, something we're doing in a, in a few weeks. Um, I, I reached out to one of our local brewers, um, and what I got back was this long, <laughs> long email discussion going, oh my God, what, what can't I tell you? This, 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 and this. Um, so, uh, he actually is going to come on the podcast, uh, in a couple of weeks to, uh, talk about, I mean, something locally here in Idaho, the, the, you know, cause there's more than just like the maltsters and, and that, but I mean, there's a bunch of shit going on, mm-hmm. um, on, in the, in, on our, in our neck of the woods. So, uh, stay tuned for that. Is guess what, is what I'm saying. We're going to get a lot deeper into this. It's not going away anytime soon. And very good possibility, at least here in the Northwest, because a lot of malt has to be transferred to a central location and the cost of fuel and labor, you're going to see beer prices increase this next year. Again, just go. I guess what I'm saying is run out now and enjoy the last five or six dollar pints while you can, because they ain't going to last. I don't know if we'll see a ton of change in draft. Uh, just because there's a little better margins, but six packs. I've, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of convinced that, that, that if the prices, I mean, it's, it's it sounds like some of the prices are going to be. First of all, I mean, cans, cans are a whole different thing. Yeah, you're going to see an increase in six packs there, but I would not at all be surprised to see draft increase too. You'll see an increase, but I don't think it'll be what cans will be. I don't know. Well. Well, well, I think we'll table that discussion for... Now, I could see a similar increase happening at bars because they see the cam price go up and go, we can charge more for a price, a pint, and make more money. Right. But from the brewery charging the wholesaler and the wholesaler charging the retailer... But would, I mean, would, would you not also go... I mean, if you're looking around and like all the breweries are charging, at this point in time, seven, eight bucks a pint... And you haven't raised your keg prices, wouldn't you be like, these? We're gonna bump our keg prices up a little bit oh, to try no. to get. I mean, every year you, that I've been around, I've seen breweries take price increase on their kegs. Absolutely. It's usually a couple bucks. The end consumer doesn't see, never it. notices it. But I mean, but... and so I almost think that'll happen. It may be a dollar or two more would be my guess but i'm not sure that that's above my pay grade i don't deal with the fucking pricing so i'd say go out and, and enjoy your five or six dollar pints while they still last good luck finding one <laughs> well my personal little soapbox i feel it catches me off when i can go have someone's beer at a downtown bar for cheaper than I can their tap room. That's fair. I'm gonna leave it at that. <laughs> Just to like, and we're gonna leave it there. Tyler, where where, where can we uh, uh, very uh, quickly and awkwardly change the subject to? Uh we're going to Hawaii, baby. Finally, fucking hell, we got that. Did you put out that? Uh, uh, no, nope, never did a Kickstarter. We're God still damn. fucked. Uh, <laughs> so I, we're going to Hawaii in our minds. So, again. Jeremy, how would you feel if you walked by a river and it was alcoholic? Um, I mean, I feel like I'd finally found the, the 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 prophecy that is the Big Rock Candy Mountain would have finally been realized. <laughs> you know, the birds and the bees and cigarette trees, the lemonade springs, the bluebird sings. 
in the Big Rock Candy Mountain. There's a lake of stew and whiskey, too. You can paddle around them in a big canoe in the Big Rock Candy Mountain. <laughs> well, in Hawaii, uh, authorities uh, were alerted to a river that smelt like beer. Uh, upon further investigation and testing of the water, the river turned out to have 1.2% alcohol by volume, or, as people uh, like to point out, about... A fourth of the percentage of Budweiser or Coors, <laughs> and you know, a, a lethal dose in humans. Let's just let's make that clear. If your if your blood was as alcoholic as this river, you would be dead. You yes. would you would cease to be. You would be gaunt and sent to meet your maker. Uh, so the stream it flows into a creek in Waipio, Hawaii. Uh, butchered that. <laughs> Pronunciation's hard, isn't it, Tyler? Oh, dude, it's a bitch. <laughs> I was really hoping you were gonna have this article. You, so you were, you were, you, were, you usually leave me with the uh, with <laughs> with the places with uh, names that are nigh unpronounceable. How's it feel? How does it feel, Tyler? To, to... Not, not great. Okay, uh, so uh, it was smelling so alcoholic that quote you would think it was a beer pub that hadn't opened its doors for three or four days <laughs> i mean there's the other thing about it. It's, it's not one of those like oh it smells a bit like a it smells a bit like beer it's like what the fuck is that rancid like that is stale nasty ass beer so apparently a visitor was hiking around diamond head last week uh not far from the h2 interstate highway and kauka boulevard and thought it reeked. Um, they had an independent laboratory come out and found 1.2% of the water was alcoholic. Uh, and as reported by the News Now Hawaii, almost 0.4% of the water was sugar, an ingredient of beer. So, the area around there is fairly industrial. Home to a number of businesses such as Paradise Beverages. Who makes well-known beers for brands of Kohala Brewery and Aloha Beer Company? Uh, the company told uh, News Now Hawaii it was unsure what was causing the alcoholic spillage. Ooh 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 ooh. Um um spilled beer spilled beer. I'm gonna go with spilled beer. Uh, so uh, Hawaii's Department of Health and Transport. Transportation later say, confirmed. You ever told us about transportation? <laughs> Tongue got tied up and then brain stopped working. It was it was a rough little second. Uh, so we're uh, professionals here. <laughs> they confirmed who was at fault. Uh, so they had their representatives come out and uh, take a look. Uh, and the director of operations at Paradise Beverage said they've been in contact and are dealing with them. Uh, they found that the alcohol and contaminated runoff uh, was from a pipe not far from the H2 interstate. The stream was on the downhill side of the H2 interstate and flowed down into a creek about 100 feet below. Uh, the transportation department, which owns the pipe, informed the Hawaii Health Department that it was Paradise Beverage's fault, according to News Now Hawaii. Uh, the article I saw, they had reached out but not gotten any comment. So the question is, was it Paradise Beverage sending stuff down that clogged a pipe and caused a break? 
Or was it just the transportation department's pipe breaking and them trying to blame the brewery for their equipment also, malfunction? Also, the fuck is happening down there? They're pouring that much beer down the drain. I mean, I know. I, I listen. I know it happens. But it's also it's not just beer because Boise's been making a big push on wastewater. That's true. I, uh, I with hops, yeast, anything going down the drain. They're, they've been making a big push uh, to help reduce the strain on the system. So I'm like, okay, every batch of beer, if you're running, you're dumping down gallons of yeast and hops, is it building well, into a small, like a curved section of the pipe? And, they're not brewing beer. They're a distributor, are they not? I thought uh, they were a distributor. It said they make the oh so like a contract brew so paradise beverage who make well-known beer brands for kohala brewery and aloha beer company so i almost wonder if they're beer contractors but huh i i'm not 100 percent sure i think i I was reading something about i think i actually caught the article in the washington post of all places um there wasn't a lot of information there but i thought they had listed them as a beverage distributor which i'm sitting there going what part of i mean listen beer goes beer beer gets expired you got to do something with it so if they're a brewery i can or a contract brewery i can that makes it even more that makes a lot more sense it makes more sense but if they're just a distributor that is the transportation department's faulty pipe that they're trying to pitch on someone else. Um, I mean, well, or either something really weird is going on up there. <laughs> but, I mean, really weird. But at, at the very least, in my mind, like even if it is a brewery, most of the stuff you're dumping down the drain is not going to be enough. To clog and break a fucking pipe. Right. So, my mind then goes, the transportation department doesn't want to take the blame for it. And since they're lumped in with the health department, go, no, it wasn't us. Us? Well, there's that. Those those dirty, dirty beer makers up there. They pour into that same pipe. And go, go talk. They must have been the reason that pipe blew. They're probably just pouring beer down the drain like they do, I guess. I, I don't <laughs> So, I guess, like, if the reason it was kind of funny to me is, I don't know any beer geek where you're like, if you'd want a river of beer running through your yard, would you be happy? And they'd be like, fuck yeah, let's do it. And then you actually stop and you think, how bad would that smell say, on a hot, humid day? It's not like you're really going to drink that. And then the impact it's going to have on wildlife, you're murdering fish. And whatever flora and wildlife or microbiology you have in that river. Doesn't the, the, uh, most, most life does not function well on ethanol. Yeah. Just us. Basically, we are the... We're, we're, and even then, we're... <laughs> and given the, given the, uh, uh, given the day, to probably, probably there's a fluctuating, uh, um, uh, uh, the, the fluctuating health concerns. But hey, you know, it's all in the service of a good time. Uh, Tyler, uh, anything else to add today? I guess the only thing I have left on that is we'll take a look. And if we get any more information on whose fault it was for the busted pipe, we'll update you guys. <laughs> Uh, but outside of that, a uh, little bit of cheap beer news. Uh, the takeout came out with a map of top cheap beers in every state. 
Idaho got Budweiser. Of course. Uh, but the fun part was Wisconsin had New Glarus Spotted Cow. <laughs> yeah, Wisconsin. Tied in. Texas had Lone Star. At, at, you know, way to be Texas. Louisiana had Abita. Nice. Delaware had Dogfish Head. It's not cheap. And I'm like, that's not cheap. Well, first of all, I mean, I, I take issue with something like Abita and, and Dogfish Head. I like them. But they ain't cheap. No. But I was like, okay, maybe most popular beer. But Jeremy's got the link. He'll post it. There's If you want to look at a specific state, most of it's your big domestic that you'd expect. But there's there there are there are some civilized pockets of humanity. There are some craft wins that you can see specifically, like we mentioned, Wisconsin is the anomaly of all the United States. They like their New Glarus. <laughs> you can so much so that you can build an, a fairly a, a big empire on just how much Wisconsinites drink, and they drink a lot. And that's why I, I, I'm a fan. I'm a big fan. Um, anyway, this has been... Uh, it's I usually I usually shit on most states. I'll have to find an article about Wisconsin so I can shit on a, a Wisconsin. For I don't know if you can. It's cold. <laughs> I, ooh, challenge accepted. This has been It's All Beer. If you want to get a hold of us... I don't um, know if I want pissed off Wisconsin people. Oh, we have uh, we tuning have, in. We have a uh, uh, an Instagram feed where I post pictures and and things. Maybe uh may, maybe be taking a dump on uh like um, a, a I don't know a badger. I think it's the Wisconsin. Uh, if you can actually physically shit on a live badger, <laughs> I'll give you a hundred dollars. We have a uh, we have a Twitter account where we post all the stories we use to create this podcast. It's all beer one. I will probably post something snotty about Wisconsin there, like uh you know. No, you guys are probably just drink Bud Light or something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> uh, Facebook, you can get us all those there. Uh, uh, you could, if you live in Wisconsin and want to like send us, send Tyler, send some Jeremy beer. some hate mail. <laughs> uh, it's Elvir at gmail.com. And uh, uh, and and of course, uh, if you know, unless you live in Wisconsin, in which case, uh, please do not rate this podcast. <laughs> I love Wisconsin. I got the utmost respect for that state. I just wouldn't live there because it's cold as fuck. Uh, you hear that? Uh, uh, Tyler thinks it's cold there. So I mean, you, so make sure to uh, when you write a review, call him a pansy. Um, but you can leave a review on... Uh, I'm not the one trying to take your shit on a badger, which that badger would fuck you up. <laughs> like a stuffed badger. I don't know. I'll probably no, I said live! <laughs> um, uh, you leave us five stars on iTunes and, or Stitcher or something, because where else can you get this kind of quality <laughs> broadcasting? <laughs> probably better quality in a lot of the places but we appreciate you listening for the whole episode and that'll be uh, quite enough from us we are off next week uh, what with uh, Thanksgiving and all that um, so, uh, eat, drink, be merry uh, we'll be back uh, in a couple of weeks until then I'm Jeremy Jones I'm Tyler Zimmerman I'm going to go say some mean things about Wisconsin have fun <laughs>